thing, you know, we're in the business of going fast and so are the teams and, um, you know, they, they push it to the absolute limits and sometimes over it and that, that's what happens. And the full credit to Shane, you know, he just, just merged into the, into the family as if he'd been there all along. I was embarrassed for that race to restart in Tasmania. Dumb shit like that, that just isn't acceptable. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock on uh, opening up the world of Inside Supercars and all that happens around it. Craig, uh, a fascinating chat you have with Adrian Burgess. Yeah, I've had some interesting chats with Adrian over the years, but uh, this week we not only talk about supercars, but we talk about where he came from and uh, the plight of McLaren, and uh, he opens up on how his feeling towards seeing that team struggling as it is, as well as what he's been uh, trying to achieve in his supercar career since coming out to Australia. So it was uh, great to have a chat with him and interesting times ahead, I think, for Techno. We've seen over the recent weeks that we're going to be dropping down to 25 on the grid and, of course, we mentioned that a few weeks ago here on the show. But the future of small teams, Um, of course, Erebus uh, is expanding in its technical capacity and Charlie is going to uh, have a technical alliance that that's certainly the uh, talk that I'm hearing with Erebus and uh, their chassis uh, are proving to be a very stout a uh, very stout unit and uh, of course they're getting a Walkinshaw engine in that package and and um, I think Charlie uses uh, KRE's engines I'm not 100% sure of that now I've said it but uh, yes, it ho- does. yeah yes. so hopefully he'll be able to move his car up the uh, up the rankings if you like as well um, and uh, of course you know you've got Matt Stone coming back for a second year although uh, the licensing of that moving forward will become a critical part at the end of the year because of uh, they Jason Bright won't be able to lease it to Matt Stone again, so I guess that's going to uh, be a, either a force majeure or uh, Bright is going to have to uh, get involved with a, another team and Matt Stone might be able to uh, convince Supercars to go back to 26 and try and get that vacant licence out. Um, it has been surprising because a lot of talk that Charlie might have gone for a second licence, but obviously he's going into a consolidation mode, Tony. Interesting to see. First of all, uh, Techno with uh, second in a championship in the same year they won both Bathurst and the uh, 12-hour, that they've proven that being a one-car team is not always necessarily the worst thing in the world. Uh, Adrian, of course, now being in charge of that team with a lot of new personnel. Uh, But also Phil Monday with his new team um, that they've shown several times this year, most recently uh, at... um, The Bend? Uh, tail and bend where they've got a pair of sevenths that they're not uh, being disgraced in any way shape or form because with uh, FPR FGX they've certainly done a great job they're planning on next year upgrading that FGX into and as a single tower team it's not necessarily the gloom and doom that many said it was going to be in the past so it's certainly interesting times on that and we'll uh, sit back and watch it. But Adrian Burgess will take us back through his history, first of all, after the break.
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, rest of the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Adrian Burgess, another year in supercars, and it's been quite a time now since you came out from Australia to join the series. How are you enjoying it? Yeah, I love it, and I obviously came over in 2006 after... Another spell in Formula One. Um, yeah, for me personally, it's a, it's a fantastic championship. It's so competitive, um, and I think you know people can make a difference. So um, I've, I've certainly enjoyed my time here. It's been 12, 13 years already, and yeah, I enjoy it and happy I'm here. Did you back when you first decided to become involved in motor racing? Did you have a family involvement, or what was that first impetus? Oh, no, I remember my uncle did a bit of sprint car racing when I was, like, really young, and I did a little bit of karting uh, while I was at school, but nothing nothing professional, just more having a bit of fun with my friends. Um, but I've always had a, an interest in motorsport from a very early age, you know, the sort of late 70s, very early 80s, I was watching Formula One, and as a sort of 10, 11, 12-year-old, I'd go out to Donington Park, which was... The nearest circuit to where I lived, it was only five, ten minutes away. I'd go out there at the weekends and marshal and things like that. So, yeah, always always had a bit of a passion for motorsport. What was the first professional job? Uh, it was working for a little team called Richard Dutton Racing. I think they went on to become Fortech. They're, they're still a good team and they're still operating now. And that was in Formula Ford 2000 in uh, 1985. And what was the role? I was like a number two mechanic. I was, like, yeah, I was the dog's body. I was a junior mechanic, um, and then I just slowly worked my way up through the system and became a number one in Formula 3 when I was 18 years old and, and then arrived at McLaren when I was 20. How do you look at having been in McLaren? How do you look at where they are now? I mean, it's terrible. Uh, it really does... Um, I really find it hard to deal with it because they were such a great team and they had a very, very strong leadership um, with Ron and, and Dave Ryan and people like that, and, uh, and I think probably well from the outside that's what it looks like some of that is missing you know you really they really worked you hard and the standards they set were incredibly high and um for me it it teaches you it taught me a lot and how i carry on my personal my business life and my work how i try and operate my teams some of the things i learned in those days are things i carry with me now but I, i hate seeing their lack of performance it's terrible i've got a lot of good friends who are still there and it's i feel really sad and sorry for the guys because they are good people but they've completely lost their way it's definitely a results driven business and no matter how good you might go if you're not the front guy then everyone's looking at you going why yeah it's incredible i mean i don't know there's obviously a lot of politics you know like in most sports or businesses there's a lot of politics and ron uh, had a way of rubbing people up the right way and the wrong way and uh, he's rubbed up a few too many the wrong way and I think that became the demise of his tenure there which is a shame because you know, you know I look at McLaren and I think of Ron you know or even Bruce but you know it's it doesn't seem right without him being there for me anyway you've now been out in Australia 
what was it, 2006, and been through a couple of different teams as well. What do you find now being in a one-car team compared to two cars, and I think it was four cars or definitely three cars when you were at uh, uh, Walkinshaw's? Yeah, I mean, it looks difficult. It wasn't my plan to um, to work in as many teams. It's not something I'm particularly happy about. Um, I had a great time at DJR and Triple Eight. You know, they were two very good teams in, in very different um, positions within the sport at the time. You know, we didn't have a uh, didn't have a dollar to share between us at DJR, but we managed to build a really really good team and, and achieve a you know a fantastic championship in 2010. And then much the same with Roland. He's a great bloke to work for and the team is they're just pure racers all of them and they work incredibly hard to achieve what they do so you've got to give them credit there um and then the techno is a completely different environment we are very small there's only sort of 10 11 of us and, and nearly all of us travel um but it's it's nice actually it's nice going back a little bit and getting involved with younger drivers the the job we do here isn't really about trying to reinvent or develop the the car or the wheel so to speak it's more developing the driver and, and mechanics and engineers and things so it's a, it's a different sort of way of going racing but it's equally as rewarding when you pull out a good result with Jack um, and you equally you see the group of people we put together and see how well they're working now compared to where they were in January so you know you get a lot of satisfaction from that. How do you look at a driver and at what point do you look at a driver and go all right you have the potential to become a supercar driver or to go on to even better things you don't really know until you get them here in the main game you know, obviously in, in the super two jack was doing a great job and a lot of a lot of race wins uh, over the last couple of years and you know for us for jonathan and myself we saw a lot of talent in him and we do believe he's still got a lot of talent but we you know we still you know we make a lot of mistakes and we don't always put the laps together when we should in qualifying so um it, take, it takes a long time to really for these guys to really achieve their full potential and and we're a long way from that yet and that will be you know a few more years for him yet you know you don't walk into this series and and challenge your Jamies and your Shanes and and those guys overnight but um we believe he's definitely got the potential but he just you know this year is a very much a learning year you, you get pushed around a lot you end up having far too many incidents that than you'd rather have and you make far too many mistakes than you'd rather make but you have to go through those um, experiences to come out the other side. Um, the good thing with Jack is that he's he's happy to sit down and listen to Campbell and myself and Jonathan and and suck in some of the experience that we've got between us. Um, so yeah, we're enjoying working with him. It's good. Do you still enjoy motorsport as much as you did when you were the number two mechanic on a Formula Ford? Oh yeah, of course I do. I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. There's probably other ways you can. There's probably other ways you can earn a living if you want to, but now this is all I've ever done, and I, I love it. So I'll be, uh, yeah, I'll be doing it for a long time to come. It's, yeah, I still get excited going to the racetrack, and yeah, when you're stood there on the grid before the race, you still get the nerves and the butterflies, and um, yeah, I still love the strategy and getting involved from that side. So yeah, I, I love it. What else could I do? And with the uh, the two events we've just been to, Sydney at night, and then a brand new circuit like uh, the Bend, that must also get the juices flowing yeah definitely i mean you come to an event with a completely open playbook and and making sure that you're uh, you're able to take in all these other sort of in bits of information that normally you just take for granted and you don't look at because you you know the you know they know the way the the way the race is going to unfold or the tire deg or all these things but when you 
the Saturday event in Sydney for me was really, really interesting from a sort of engineering point of view. And coming here to a new circuit, it was really interesting. It was interesting to see different people struggle with it and, and other people do a really good job um, first time here. So, um, yeah, it's good to go to new places and, uh, and experience new events. So. We talk about um, short, uh, reducing the calendar and then trying out to go have just Saturday, Sunday events. Is that a good thing or is it really just trimming at the edges of what might be a, a saving or not? Oh, look, it's not all about saving money. We've got to make sure that we're delivering a product to the fans, uh, both at home and on the, watching the broadcast, but equally at the circuit. We've got to make sure we're delivering entertainment um, and, and something that the consumer wants. Now, I think they're just there. I think Sid, Sydney Saturday night just showed how well that concept can work. Um, so for sure, um, we'll be doing that again. I would imagine, and maybe somewhere know, another venue as well. But um, we have to keep we have to keep an open mind. The economy, the way that people interact with social media and second and third devices, is changing so quickly. We've got to make sure that we. Um, keep a, a sporting event and it is a business and make sure we put on a good race we are here to go racing but equally make sure we appeal to the fan base when you see what liberty's doing trying to uh, gain a bit of ground how do you think that has gone do you uh, think formula one's more interesting now or less interesting not at the moment hopefully i think when we see the the next spate of rule changes come through i, I don't i don't really like the engine formula we have at the moment in in f1 um i don't, I don't think the fans do either to be honest but uh, Liberty, I think, will learn. They're, they're clever people. They've invested a lot of money in it, and they obviously have done their due diligence. But, it, it, yeah, it's a diff, weird space, Formula 1 at the moment. Um, the teams are struggling financially, which is never a good thing. But, but they've always been like that, I think. You know, even when I was doing it, there's teams with money and teams without. Same in this category. And um, I, I don't know. I think we need to see a few more years of Liberty before we can really judge if they're going to you know, steer it the right way or the wrong way. Well, Adrian, pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, we're talking on much easier circumstances than when we were talking when you were uh, almost out the door at Triple Eight that uh, that evening. Yeah, so time time changes. Yeah, time's a healer. Me and, me and Roland get on really well now, so uh, you know, it's all good. I, I needed to do it for myself. Yeah, uh, whether I'd sit here and uh, say to myself whether it was a good thing or a mistake, well, that's for me to worry about and for me to live with. So, but now life's about experiences and pushing yourself and learning new things and. Um, wherever I go, I always try and make sure I have a challenge. I like a challenge. So, uh, yeah, you no point having any regrets in life. Sorry, finally, you worked with Craig Lowndes for quite a while and he finishes up at the end of the year. What what do you take from your time with Craig and what do you think the series is really going to realise in 2019 when he's not there at the Adelaide 500? Yeah, no, it's an interesting one. He, he's an absolute legend. He's such a nice guy. I get on with him really well and, and same with Lara and, you know, we often text each other for, you know, birthdays and anniversaries, things like this. He's, he's, a, he's a great person, you know, outside of the car. Uh, inside of the car, he's achieved so much and he's, he's uh, such a great role model for all the youngsters to look up to and, and for the fans to cheer on. So, you know, hopefully we won't really miss him. Hopefully he'll still be here and in other capacities. I'm sure he will. He's not the sort of guy who'll be able to walk away and just sit there and watch it on the TV. I think he'll, he'll enjoy the next stage of his career and, you know, I'd, I'd love my time with him. We got on really well, and um, he'll, he'll remain friends and you know for as long as we're both here, I think. Well, thanks for your time today. No problem. Cheers. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. After the break, 
Mitch Croak uh, joins Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock at Sandown and takes us through the dark and mysterious world of being sticker men. It's much more for him because he's responsible for the look and presentation of the four Nissan Altimas and has done a great job. So he'll tell us more about that after the break. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian Times since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. We're in the Sandown 500 pit lane with Mitch Croak, who is a member of Kelly Racing Nissan Motorsport. Been there four or five years. Uh, yeah, been here four, four and a half years now. That's four and a half fun. years primary skill that you joined the team with? Uh, so I'm the team sign writer so okay. I look after all the signage on all the race cars, pit walling, trucks anything that you see with a, any sort of sticker work or signage on it uh, I look after it. Okay and you also have a responsibility on race weekends? Uh, yes I'm the number three mechanic on Rick Kelly's car um, so you look after things like refueling the car, keeping the car clean, tidy just an extra set of hands for the two primary mechanics, and I'm also left front wheel changer in the okay. pit stops. Okay. Now, you've actually got a bit of history here because you've got two older brothers. I do. I have two older brothers that work for DJR Team Penske, so there's a little bit of friendly rivalry between right. us, I suppose, but uh, there's, a, there's a bit of an age gap between us. So when they were starting in supercars, I was still quite young, and uh, I was out the back probably pestering them to come talk to us and all things like that, but just... Uh, yeah, supporting them when I was younger. I, I've known Ben since Stone Brothers days, and, and I can't remember what what he was doing before he joined Stone Brothers. But he's now team manager at DJR Team Penske. His brother Shane works um, on wheels, tyres. Yeah, he uh, looks after the tyres on Car Seventeen, and yeah. uh, also a few other few other things. Okay. What was your motorsport background before you got to Kelly's? Uh, only sort of motorsport background I had was I used to race go-karts when I was uh, a little bit younger, uh, but all the family did, pretty much. It was uh, just something that uh, three out of the four of us brothers um, pursued, and um, the family has always been around motorsport. Mum and Dad uh, have always taken us to races, and we grew up in New South Wales near, uh, near Goulburn, so near Wakefield Park, so... We're always uh, around racing whenever we, uh, whenever we could be. Okay, now the principal thing we want to talk to you about is the liveries. Now, this is a particularly busy weekend for you because you've got a whole bunch of new ones. Uh, it is. We have three new liveries on the cars this weekend. So on the Castrol car, we have uh, a bit of a throwback to 2002. Uh, on car 7, we have um, a new, new sponsor on board this weekend with uh, Automotive Centre of Excellence. And then uh, on um, Simona's car as well, we've thrown back to a bit of a classic 60s look with um, stripes and uh, the big number on the door. Okay. All right. And uh, now tell us about the process. Now, in the case, obviously, you dipping back into the Team Perkins days for this livery design. Uh, yeah, on the Castro one, as I said, we've, uh, we've uh, thrown it back to 2002. Um, so I think back then they had Perkins... Stephen Richards and Russell Ingle driving back then from yep. memory. Uh, but there, there's 
so many different Castrol liveries we uh, we could have picked from, but um, this is Castrol's choice to pick the Tic Tac livery as it's uh, as it's named. Okay. In fact, it's 20 years ago. Not this livery, of course, but 20 years ago. Perkins Ingle won the Sandown 500. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So you perhaps go. a bit of an omen for a Castrol car. Yeah, that, that would be nice. Um, wasn't quite our day yesterday. Uh, we had a few little dramas, but uh, hopefully today uh, we can turn it all around and have a good day. So tell us about the process with this. I mean, obviously uh, Susie Dilger of Castrol is involved in it. Yep, yep. Do you put the ideas up to her? Uh, she will come to us with the ideas, oh, okay. and then it's uh, up to us to produce the ideas, I suppose. So uh, she came to me early in the year and said uh, that, that she had this idea of running uh, this livery. Uh, it's then my job to either outsource a graphic designer to draw it up, or we can do it in-house ourselves. Uh, with a lot of the Castrol stuff, we try to keep it uh, in-house, so uh, we, I draw all this up on our templates at work on the computer, and then you send it back to Castrol for uh, their tick of approval, but then you also have to uh, check in with all the other minor sponsors as well, so such as uh, Steadfast, uh, Farrison, and ones like that, just to make sure that they're all happy with uh, how their branding will appear on the car, because it's not typical colours that their logos would be on. Yes. So uh, there, there's a bit of a process in making sure all sponsors are happy before you can then get to the process of uh, producing the livery. And that's a similar case with all of the different uh, sponsors? Yeah, all, all four cars, whether it's uh, retro or whether it's just uh, a sponsorship change, it's a very similar process. Okay, alright. You've uh, got a busy time ahead too because you're going from Nissan branding to Kelly Racing branding, so how far along are you on the new Kelly Racing look for 2019? Uh, at the moment we're just kind of scoping everything out uh, what sort of involvement, because we're still running Nissan's next year, so working out what involvement they will still have with us next year, and then uh, just kind of scoping out There's, I think at the workshop I think I counted, there's probably about six, 700 Nissan logos that uh, uh, we'll probably have to be re-branded back to Kelly Racing but uh, as I said, we're just working through all that at the moment, just to work out what we need to do. Do you... Kelly's were one of the last teams to change over from painting their cars. Back in the, the Jack Daniels days, their car was painted black with stickers on. Nowadays, most cars, and I think even including yours, are, are a full wrap. Uh, yeah, so the, the sides on our cars are a full wrap. Uh, that's purely just to save time. Uh, because we have liveries changing constantly, um, it's hard to, especially with four cars, it's hard to keep up um, with painting everything over and over again. We still use our quality PPG paint uh, on various parts around the car, like the, the cars themselves, chassis-wise, everything like that. There's still quite a bit that's painted, but in terms of the exterior look, uh, quite a bit of that is wrapped. And how long does it take to wrap a car? Like, this car would have been a, a complete nose-to-tail, top-to-bottom wrap. Yeah, it was. So, uh, generally, I've been wrapping the cars for four and a half years now, so you get quicker and quicker each time you wrap the cars. I think I'm up to about 80 different liveries since I started with the team, so you get quicker and quicker, and I can get a full car done in probably about seven hours now. So, right. it is a full day's work by yourself, yeah, or do you need someone to help uh, stretch it? 
edit a full day's work by myself and I generally just get a couple of the mechanics just to help me lay it on the car initially as one big sheet of vinyl and then I just takes myself just to finesse it all I suppose yep. and soapy you use the soapy water trick to get it down so you can uh, uh, no, you, don't, you don't need to use uh, any soapy water anymore uh, luckily the the vinyl uh, the technology in the vinyl has developed quite a lot the vinyl will actually slide around the car and it has pressure sensitive adhesive so until you put pressure on it with an applicator it won't stick to the car and what's what's been the biggest challenge for you so far with with the liveries you've done like over 80 liveries i imagine there's always one that on the drawing in the cad it looks fantastic and when you get on the car you go oh that's not right uh, I don't know if there's been... Um, I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I always triple-check things, I suppose, before I get to the stage of actually applying it to the race car. Um, in terms of challenges, it'd probably just be the timing with a lot of the stuff. Um, some uh, Sometimes we have plenty of time to, to plan for liveries, such as the Castrol one retro around this time, but then we'll also probably change a sponsor uh, quite last minute. Uh, our marketing and commercial team will change the way they want to do things for this round, so I guess uh, you're just meeting short timelines to try and uh, produce a, a quality result. And I've been informed a little birdies told me that your Bathurst effort this year could be the biggest Kelly Racing's ever done. I I won't give away too much, but uh, it should be it should be a crowd pleaser. Let's just say that. Well, it's been wonderful catching up with Mitch, learning about the process and what's involved. Um, so thank you for joining us on Inside Supercars. No problem. Thank you. After the break, our final thoughts for this week's Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie Stewart at the Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Craig, your final thought? My final thought is how good has it been to see so many drivers going off overseas and applying their trade and doing a great job of it. We saw uh, between Bathurst and and uh, the Gold Coast that Chas Mostert went over to the WeatherTech Series in the United States. Garth Tender took a victory with uh, Jeff Emery to uh, help Emery secure the endurance title this year. And uh, we even saw Tim Slade overseas in uh, Japan uh, if my memory serves me correct. So uh, great to see the Australian drivers getting the opportunities now to do uh, a bit more and, and spread their wings. And, of course, in the past we've seen Shane Van Gisbergen and, uh, of course, M- Mark Winterbottom all heading overseas and uh, having an opportunity to run in different categories and series. And if there's one thing that does highlight how strong these drivers are, uh, obviously teams... Nowadays, it's very difficult for them to take a car overseas and compete uh, anywhere else in the world because our cars are uh, certainly uh, standalone entities, uh, unlike when we saw you know, the Grices, Moffats, Brocks, all racing in Australian-prepared cars in Europe. Uh, so we perhaps don't get the chance to see 
the Australian teams, what they can do on the international stage, and we all know how how highly regarded they are internationally. But uh, we do get to see the drivers showing their wares, and I, I think that's a good thing, not only for supercars but for Australian motorsport because it's so difficult to get to the uh, Formula One levels in for for drivers. Of course, uh, a few, uh, I think it's recently I spoke with uh, Thomas Randall, who, you know, was Formula Four. He won the uh, championship over in New Zealand in the uh, Toyota Racing Series and then had a couple of years trying to, to make his way. We saw Courtney... Um, Russell Ingall all go to Europe and more recently Dee Pasquale all go over there. They uh, learned an, a mountain, an enormous amount of motor racing craft and uh, have come back here to uh, apply it. And I think that's one of the things that, that Shane and particularly Chaz, we've spoken to Chaz over the uh, course of the year, Tony, and seen how he's been able to uh, take that GT experience, that international experience, and, and apply it back here in Australia. Craig, I totally agree. It's great to see our drivers going and showing their credentials around the world. And, boy, haven't they been successful. Um, there's nothing like being case-hardened in Europe, and particularly Di Pasquale is the most recent of those graduates, and he's been showing up his peers, certainly to be putting a car in the top ten shootout Bathurst. It was an amazing job. Certainly, the, and he'll be ready and willing to uh, take that further in future years. So that's it from Inside Supercars. Fascinating look into the world of Inside Supercars. Thanks from me. And good night from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.